You know what time it is. Nox Unleash. Family Fridays. The second official Nox Unleash. We love everybody. Kind of. All right. Got to get my sponsors in here. Let me invite my speakers here. Ooh. I see Bobby. What's up, Bobby? Let me see if I can get my sponsor in here. Hey, what's up, you guys? Kevin, what's up, man? He's back. Yes, I'm back, Kevin. I am back. All right, let me see. Um, my sponsor, New Heart, NewHeartTreasures.com. I'm looking for my sponsor. Hey, uh, Mr. David, my account is not working. Oh, so okay. is it okay if I use my dad's? No, it's not. Not at all. Okay. <laughs> it's not allowed. I have to say yes to that playing this Godfather music. I have to say, of course it's okay to use your father's account. We totally allow it. I'm glad that you popped on. Why don't you mute, mute your mic real quick so I can give you an introduction and I'll bring you in. You can unmute your mic. All right. I'm very happy Talk. to have you. Well, first, I want to welcome everybody to Family Friday. Jason Farley's here. I'll sponsor you. Jason, I love you, brother. I'm so glad that you would sponsor me, but I can't do this work on pesos. Um, but thank you. I, I appreciate that, brother. It's, it's, it's not advanced. It's just the truth. Uh, thank you. And I know you would sponsor me especially if you had lots and lots and lots and lots of money. But I don't have to depend on Jason sponsoring me, Jason Farley. By the way, um, we have to talk about the university. So first, thank you guys for tuning in to Family Friday on Knox Unleashed. Um, I'm very excited. It's not, I'm going to kind of mix uh, Family Friday and Work Wednesday together, even though it's, it's kind of like a Work Wednesday on a Family Friday. Uh I found a sponsor while I was at G3, and I'm so excited to bring this sponsor to you. Let me go ahead and share their page and add them to the conversation in just a second here. The sponsor that I got is a young sponsor, and the website is newhearttreasures.com, newhearttreasures.com. And I was so inspired by this person because this person is an 18-year-old young lady who has started her own company, saved up thousands of dollars and has invested it into, um, well, I guess I'll let her tell, tell about all that she sells. But from what I can see, trinkets and what you can see, T-shirts, uh, notebooks, um, tumblers. I really, really, really like this one. Doxology print. Uh, yeah, it should be art. Um and all sorts of other things. I love that she has this wonderful shirt that says true meaning of the rainbow shirt. I just need to rock that one. Um, and stickers and just all kinds of lovely things. I love these shirts. Redeem, Jesus saves, amen. Um, and so she is the, I'm really proud of this because this is my first actual sponsor for a show outside of cross politics. So Knox Unleashed finally has its first sponsor. And this sponsor is New Heart Treasures. Her name is Hannah. Thank you so much for sponsoring this show, Hannah. Come and tell us about why you started, what you're doing, and how you got started. 
Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. So um, I started New Heart Treasures this January. And um, how I basically, how I started was I was working for a really good friend in the church and he um, got a new machine and he was telling me all about what it could do. And it was a, a printing machine to print shirts. And I started thinking of just different shirt designs that I would like to wear. And then I was just started thinking, well, if I would like to wear it, maybe other people would like to wear it too. So I started with just an Etsy shop and now I've branched out to having my own website and social media pages and stuff. This is really awesome. Okay. And what's the whole intention and purpose of, um, of your company? Why did you start this company? Um, I started new heart treasures to, um, try to get more Christian merchandise that glorifies God and um, to help Christians start gospel conversations in everyday life with their shirts or stickers or. And, and, and so I see you have a sovereign collection. I'm looking on this now, this, I had my chance to see these um, God is sovereign coffee mugs up, up uh, front and close and personal. I really, 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 really like these. They're a very unique coffee mug and it felt great in my hand. And then you have these sovereign, God is sovereign t-shirts. Now I'm looking at these shirts. That's a really, is, are they have actually that kind of faded design look on where it's kind of golden on the left side and then it goes blue. Or is that just a picture? Uh, it is gold on the outside and white oh. on the, well, no, the shirt is mostly just blue. I okay. think it's just the picture that has it as the gold. Okay, well, I'll still take it. And then you have these sovereign bags and sovereign <laughs> cards. Okay, what is if, if you wanted somebody to to say, hey, this is like my favorite piece of, of, of apparel or a product that I have, what would you point people to? Um, my favorite is probably the Crisis King design. And I really like the sweatshirt. That's what I'm talking about. So give us your website and um you ship. Right. We ship everywhere. We we do ship everywhere. Yes. Sir. Okay. Okay. Just making sure. Uh <laughs> this is really good. And, and you know what? I like I like the merchandise and I, but I really like what you're doing. You know, one of the things that I, I've been talking about is work and the fact that you're um do you mind if I ask how much money you saved up to get started to do this? And do you mind telling everybody? Or you want me to keep that a secret? Yeah, no, I don't mind. Okay. No, I don't mind. Um, so I I've been saving for a long time. So it's basically like basically all the savings I've had since I was younger. So I think I had when I started about like $9,000 in savings and I used a lot of that, but thankfully I've gotten a good bit back. So. Wow. Hannah, I'm, you know what? I'm impressed. I really am. And I'm very grateful that you're sponsoring this show. Listen to me right now, everybody. I can do what I do because people who are sponsors do what they do, make lovely things. Yes, thank, you're right, Josiah. This does look amazing. Go to, um, uh, I'm going to pull up the website so everybody can go there, newhearttreasures.com, newhearttreasures.com, and support what Hannah's doing. I love the fact, Hannah, could you do me a favor? Well, could you um, do more prints with scripture on them? Because I think that would be awesome. Yes, I think we need way more Bible scriptures in our house. And if I asked David Reese, he would say, you're probably sinning if you don't have it. Well, Hannah's going to cover that area for you. She's going to have frames of scriptures in here for prints. I think that would be huge to take Bible. And not those like, you know, 
lovey dovey. I, I feel good and take them out of context. But I'm talking about some good, some psalms. Right. You know, you know what to do. You know what to do. You you on it, Hannah. Great work. Thank you so much for being a sponsor. Everybody go to newhearttreasures.com, newhearttreasures.com. Support the people who are supporting us so that they can continue to grow and we can advance this thing. And if we don't, what, what Hannah is doing is some of the conversation we're talking about, which is creating an economy, figuring out a way to bless other people so that, um, you know, we can be a blessing uh, to others and to the rest of the world. I mean, this is how the world turns. And so Hannah, thank you so much. I'm going to, I want one of those mugs. I'm going to buy a mug. I love that mug right there. That mug is so uniquely done. Thank you. I thought it was very, the way it tapers off the bottom. Anyway, I'll have one and I'm going to get a shirt too so that I can wear it when I do the show. And then Hannah, I'll be promoting your, um, your business every time I do a Knox Unplugged. So thank you so much for um, your work and for being our sponsor. Thank you so much. All right. Bye, Hannah. Bye. All right. You guys know newhearttreasures.com, newhearttreasures.com. Wow. 18 years old, $9,000, saved it up and started a company. All right. I'm in. And as a sponsor here on Knox Unleash, I hope she doesn't regret it. So. <laughs> I think my guys here, David Reese. Hey, David, how are you doing? Are you there? I'm not hearing your audio. Hold on. I'm great, brother. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing wonderful, man. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? That's Nine beautiful. Yes, that was beautiful. I I love it, man. And I heard what she was doing. I was like, you have to be a sponsor for Knox Unleashed, and it's a she's being a blessing to her family. Um, you know, one day when she decides to have a husband, she's gonna be that Proverbs 31 woman who's building and. Um, working in the home and she's got, and, and what a way right now with the way the technology is. I mean, people who aren't taking advantage of these opportunities and fathers who aren't discipling their children to be able to say, Hey, take this money, save it. And, and here's something you can build with. You know, like there, all the things are fitting right um, for her to be able to do what she's doing. And I just want to support those kind of things. There's all sorts of things to support out there. But when you see something like that, it's like, man, what will God do with this? I don't know. Let me Absolutely. buy a shirt. Let me, let me buy a mug. You know, yeah, no, it's beautiful. I think, and this idea that you know the design of things. This is you know, she is doing beautifying work, and so the work yes. of trying to help other women, helping other people to be able to have their homes, have things that are godly and beautiful, um, and to be able to provide things. So those those artifacts of culture, right, where you're you're taking Christianity, you're you're putting the Word of God on objects, you're helping to make it beautiful, helping to make it so that there's captured there this this reality uh what hannah's doing there is beautiful and so that makes it so that you have this feeling of a a culture in the home where there is godliness and so you know you can you can do that hypocritically but i'll yeah. tell you what every we, we are such a cynical people it, it like it makes me sick right we're like, we're like whenever anybody does anything good the response is always like well that's not how you get to heaven and also, you know, it doesn't mean that you're doing it right. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. what if somebody means it? Would it be uh, a good thing then? And so yeah. it's like what she's doing is, is beautiful here. And it's helping people who want to have this culture that's beautiful and good. And so I think just everybody get cultural artifacts that are Christian. Make it so that you're helping people to think about the word of God in your home. And when we see the world filled 
with all sorts of that, where all the objects, everything we've thought about has been made to have a way where it encourages us to think about the glory of God. We know that the post-millennial work has been almost accomplished, right? Yeah. And so Zechariah says the bells on the horses will have holy unto the Lord written on them. And so mm. that's what we need to do. We need to take everything captive. We need to take every thought captive and take all the space and put the law word of God governing how we use it and put mm. the word in places where it reminds us to think of these things and helps us to have a context that is encouraging of godliness. So anyway, sorry. So to no, give man. a second ad there for Hannah, I think we should do No, great. do it. I love it, brother. And, you know, one of the things that I've watched you do in the short amount of time that I've known you with your kids is encourage this. Like you bring them up this way. And so I just thought it was like, this is perfect. That I know it's not Wednesday, but to talk about work Wednesday and to see an 18-year-old engage in this way um, I was just super impressed and I think we should be doing it. So I want to talk uh, a, a little bit about, um, oh, what did I have here? Um, oh, there's so much going on. Um, last week, or last Friday, we talked about the importance of the family, the structure of the family, basically kind of a lot of Genesis 101 stuff. Uh, right. um, that's what I wanted to talk about. Hold on one second, David. I see all you people inside of the X spaces. Um, I'm going to call you out one by one if y'all ain't shared this yet. Y'all know better. Y'all know the rules. Y'all know the rules. You come in here. We want to control the algorithm. We don't want the algorithm to control us. Hit the retweet button. Hit the share button. Hit the like button. And let's make sure that this gets out and that we start telling X or YouTube or Facebook, any of these platforms, we start telling them what it is we want to see. And the way the way this thing works is that it will actually obey us. But we do a horrible job of promoting our own content that is good. Yeah. So let's comment on the stuff that we think is. It doesn't have to be a long comment just to say, hey, great. Thanks. This is awesome. Or work harder. I really like you guys. I wish you were better. Those work, too. <laughs> um, a like or a share. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, David. Yeah. OK, make sure you hit it, too. Um those things are super important because a lot of times we want to complain about, oh, man, I can't believe how bad Facebook's got you use it and you're contributing to how bad it's gotten because you don't engage with it the proper way. So you're responsible for the things you see in your feed a lot of the time. And so what you need to do is make sure that your feed is saturated with good things by engaging with good things. Comment on them, like them, be like Josiah who said, that looks amazing. Be like Kevin who says, Hey, he's back. You'd be like Jason Farley here. Who's like, I'll sponsor you. Those are really helpful. And those are really, David Reese just replied conquer the algorithm. Amen. See, now you can speak. So all you guys inside the spaces, everybody on YouTube, everybody on Facebook. Hey, Lindsay, good to see you. Lindsay Rose, she knows what she's doing. So that's what I wanted to make sure that I talk about. I want to talk about that every time so that we can start creating the habit of engaging with good content. And, and even, even if it's not like your favorite content, that's okay. Don't then go and share the gay stuff. Don't then go in and promote and, and, and advertise for the secularists because you're upset. Don't let your driving uh, motivations be the things that upset you, but the things that are beautiful. And that's another reason why I wanted Hannah to come on. We want to promote beautiful things. We want to promote true things. That's what we want to see, especially in the, when the fight is right there on the algorithm. Hey, Young Flav, Family Friday, let's go. I'm with you, my guy. Young Flav met him out at G3 conference. I think he uh, hired some guy to play his father because... I don't think it was his real dad. Inside joke, but y'all need to know about it. All right, so last week, David, we were laying the foundation of 
and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but we were laying the foundation of really the narrative of creation, the intent and narrative of creation and God's intent for man. And you started with, um, you know, why don't you just give us a recap of what that was and lead up right up to where we're about to go today and dealing with the church. But we have a little, we're going to turn off. We've got a lane we're going to turn off into economics. All right. So we talked about the idea that man is made as the image of God, that that man, that is rationality. It manifests mm. itself in wisdom or knowledge, holiness and righteousness. And so we talked about how wisdom relates to the office of the prophet. And so we are renewed after the image of Christ in knowledge. And the prophet is called to spread that knowledge, the knowledge of God. And then we are to be priests and priests are to be a holy people. And so we are called to be devoted to God in holiness. And so that's a part of that work that we're given. And we are called to be kings who exercise justice, who, who choose righteously. And so when we think about those three offices, we realize that we're given those offices, we're given dominion, we're given authority to do work. And so the work that we're given, there's a positive element to build, to cultivate, to construct, and there's the negative element to preserve, to defend, to maintain, to keep. So the call to work and keep is manifested in those three offices. And the prophet positively spreads knowledge, negatively destroys error. The priest positively prays for blessing and focuses with zeal on the goal and negatively self-sacrificially serves to maintain what is good. And the king provides to positively advance things and protects, defends, guards in order to do the negative work of keeping. So that working and keeping is there. So we talked about the individual and we talked about how that kind of goes into the family space. And we talked about in particular the important ordinances of individual worship before God on mm -hmm. a daily basis and of household worship where the head of house is leading. And so we talked about in the household how the husband and the wife together, they rule that when they, when they get married, that's an act of secession from their old household. And it's also a declaration of independence where with a charter for a new government. And so they rule together as king and queen. And we talked about making shirts. And so then with this idea of them being king and queen together, uh, this, this results in them thinking about the fact that they have to raise children. And in raising children, they need to care for their bodies and souls. And then they also have to deal with the fact that they have property to manage. And that property, as they increase it, they're increasing dominion. And that relates to servant relationships. And there's duties there. So those who are the man and woman of the house, they hold three offices, and those three offices are husband or wife, master or mistress, father, mother. And in each of those relationships, they need to exercise the work of prophet, priest, king. So you can see how the offices, the authority that God has given to us and the image of God relate to these things and the depth, the expansion of the interrelationship of those different categories really helps us to see the fullness of what we're called to. And obviously the Ten Commandments applies there because the, the commandments are the instruction manual for dominion. So we kind of pause there and we, we're going to start today into talking about thinking about the home as it begins to interrelate with the church. And in particular, something I want to make sure we get to is talking about the officers of the church and their wives 
and the qualifications that exist for them. Because those give to us a picture of the mature man. And I'm also going to use the word mature a lot. So it's going to be great. Okay. We're going to get into the, we're going to learn the word mature. Okay. That's good. <laughs> um, so then, but I think last time we got done talking, one of the things that we wanted to talk about that I thought was important is that, you know, there's a lot of things that come out of the family that right now we've relegated to the civil magistrate instead of the family. Like in America, it seems like the large majority of our tax money uh, or the government controls healthcare. Uh, the government controls for the most part education, uh, the, right. the government, you know, the, the, and the government controls the economy. Well, I guess you can consider a part of it, the government, but they, that's all controlled by the civil magistrate, but that shouldn't necessarily be in their category of authority. Right. Right. They should not be exercising any of the positive work there. Their only role there is strictly negative in the sense that what they do in the economy is help to maintain that contracts are upheld and they punish things like theft. Right. So the law of God teaches us what they ought to punish. But the government is not to be a positive provider of services in general. The positive provision they give is just courts to administer justice for disputes. There is a night watchman function to prevent criminal activity from just going all over the place. So if they, if there's somebody who starts shooting in the streets, you know, the night watchman is supposed to shoot back. And you have the idea of the night watchman function on borders and, and for defense. But then you also have the waging of just warfare, which can, which is not just a, a night watchman function, right? You have to call the population to gather. You have to call men to appear into the, the duty of the militia to be able to wage just warfare. And so those three functions, the positive services they're giving are all, you know, punishing bad guys. And so what we don't have is a positive service of healthcare, welfare, or education. Those are the positive services of the home. And the church has a special place where it's to focus on a positive giving of the service of education. It is a pillar and ground of the truth. It upholds the truth to be seen by people in public. And so it's an educational institution. And then it's other work in terms of healthcare and things like that. Those are not things that are sort of the ongoing general function of it. That is a mercy ministry that is to be somewhat limited for people who have a particular mm. need, the, the orphan and the widow and the man who is the working poor who's trying to get to a place of avoiding enslavement or, or whatever. And there's also for those who are incapable of continuing to work because they have injury. Those are mercy ministry type functions. So we, when we blend the spheres, blending the spheres is how you make tyranny. And mm. so I think that what you're getting at here is the problem that, you know, the word despot, which is, is you know, kind of used to refer to tyrants, is, is a word that comes from this idea of taking the Greek word for a manager. And a manager is a despotes. And when you make a, a, a king into a despotes, what you've done is you've made it so that the king is treating the whole country like it's his household. Mm. And so all of a sudden oh. now, citizens become servants. And you, you make it so there's no freedom. Right. Uh, an employer yeah. has the right to give orders to an employee to do all sorts of stuff. A king has a very limited set of authority, a magistrate, a Christian prince, a, a republic, what, you know, whatever the chief magistrate is. Right. He, he, he has a limited set of authority 
And his limited set of authority is to tell people to do things that God has commanded him to do. But that does not include, hey, go farm that piece of land. Hey, go do this thing. Don't, you, know, you need to now provide health care to these people. I'm, I'm ordering you. you know, that, that's not the jurisdiction of the king. And so, like, so then the creation of jobs that everybody, because we've kind of just walked through that and just assumed that the government gets to create jobs, but it's like, and, and this is why I think is a breakdown of the family and this structure, you know, was because we don't even think of creation of jobs as a, a family economy, as something that flows out of the family. Yeah, it's awful. So. My response to what you just said is that scream emoji, the blue one, you know, or, saw, or like the scream, the painting. That's about what I feel like doing. <laughs> I saw you about to do it. That's why I was like, I'm just going to let him scream. Go ahead. <laughs> that's exactly right. No, so, so jobs are people taking their capital and trying to invest it or consume it by getting somebody to go do something that will create more capital or having somebody go and do something that's going to make their life easier or pleasant or whatever, right? So, so this idea that the government has the job of creating jobs, the only way the government gets any property, the only way that a government gets any property is by stealing it or lawfully taking it by taxation for proper purposes. Mm. And then there's also this sort of idea of, you can tell people what to do, but then you're eliminating their property, right? You mm. can limit what they're allowed to do, right? So you can either take it and use it for lawful purposes or unlawful purposes. You can tell someone what to do with it, what's theirs, in which case it's no longer theirs, you're just taking it. You can tell somebody they can't do something that they're lawfully allowed to do, in which case you're taking their property. And so you find that all they're really able to do is to steal rights or... Mm. There's a limited set of functions that they're authorized by God to perform. And they have a lawful right to tax at some level in order to get that property. So those are sort of the, the possible ways of getting it. Now, the other thing that's common now for governments to do, if they want to get money or resources, right, is to debase the currency, to print money, whatever, which is another form of theft. And so... When we think about that process, all the government can really do is it can either pay people to do stuff or it can force them to do it with the sword. Now, the way it can pay people is by forcing people to give them money, which is essentially another way of forcing people to do stuff. So when the government does things, the government inherently is coercive. The government ought to coerce certain things. One thing mm. the government ought to coerce is it ought to coerce people into not committing crimes. <laughs> it should also coerce people into paying. It, it should also coerce people into paying a just level of taxation. And the Bible teaches us that 10% is a tyrannical level. First Samuel chapter 8 has the curses that come from a king, and the set of curses includes the idea that he's going to tax you at 10%. That's the, you know, again, we're supposed to have the blue emoji scream. That's supposed to be the response. So mm. If we think about that reality and we see the fact that we have a taxation system that's much higher than that, why? Because the government's trying to provide all sorts of services that it shouldn't be providing. It's trying to make people do stuff that they aren't required to do by the law of God. It's trying to forbid them from doing things that they should be allowed to do according to the law of God. It's trying to defend and commend stuff that people shouldn't be allowed to do. 
And we have this situation where the government is a huge mess. So the simplicity of the government in the Bible is that the government is to defend the rights of the innocent and to punish the wicked. And that's what those, those activities that are very limited. So when we expand it out to other things, it's extracting resources by coercive power and making it so that there is not an ability for free people to be able to do everything. Instead, they're competing with somebody that can ultimately say, give me all your stuff. Okay, everybody's, somebody's asking who is speaking. That's You're listening to Pastor David Reese. He is also the CEO of Armor uh, 500, uh, AR 500 Armor or Armor Republic, I think. This is not right on your Twitter handle, just so you know that, Pastor. Uh, pastor of Puritan Reformed Church in um, Phoenix, Arizona. That's You need to go follow him on Twitter so you can get him to tweet more. That's why I'm encouraging you guys to follow him. He needs to be tweeting a lot more than he currently is. David, I want to know... Um, so before we move on to the church qualifications and, and elders and so on and so forth, how do we, when we have such a system that's set up to be lazy and not to engage in um, the full operation of the government of the family, how do we get back to that when everything, it's almost like you get double charged. So they're taking out secure, uh, social security, they're taking out education funds, they're taking out all those other monies, like you said, overtaxed, right? Um, and so if you decide to take responsibility for your family, you have to pay double to even do so. So the current system is going to take your money to educate other folks, kids and to take care of folks that they're not your own. Um, and then you still have to do that. So I, I'm thinking about I'm educating my own kids. My mom is older. I'm gonna have to take care of her. Um, how do we kind of not break the system, but start turning this thing to where, uh, we get back to understanding what our dues and responsibility are and then get our own money back to actually be able to do those things. Yeah. So we've been enslaved. Um, mm. What's happening is we're, we're having, you know, if you're, if you're working, if, you know, if you're working and you're, you're earning a wage, you basically, by the time you get to Wednesday, you start to get to take money home for yourself. Right? Mm. So Monday, Tuesday, you're working for the government largely. And, and so, that being the case, what we find is we have to build our own institutions. There are no neutral institutions. So we have to work harder now. We have this, this evil oppression on us of anti-Christian systems. And so what we have to do is we have to accumulate capital. We have to work harder to pull that in, to seek to be free. And we pray for God to deliver. And we ask that God would bless our work. So what we have to do is we have to pull capital in to make our own institutions. The, the hospitals that exist now are anti-Christian. They are ungodly. I, I remember taking my grandfather into the hospital over and over and over again when he was older. From the age of 60 through the age of 90, my dad and I could tell you, you know, dozens of stories where they were always just like, you know, he's old. He needs to die. Like, you know, and there's just sort of this attitude of like, let's not do all the things because he's old. You know what I mean? So like, you know, let's not do this. Right. And so that attitude in the hospitals, you have to go in. If you've got a grandparent or older parents or you're older and you are going to go into the hospital system in a metro, major, major metro area in the United States of America, you're going to find overwhelmingly that the doctors there view old people as essentially a drain on the system, mm. something they got to deal with. And there's sort of unrealistic expectations of families for caring for them. And that's because of the fact that you, know, you have Medicare and Medicaid and all this kind of stuff. And people just kind of expect the government to pay for everything. And so you have this like, just give us all the things. There's no consideration of costs. 
And that makes all of the doctors just kind of this like gatekeeper of the money. Because if they prescribe the stuff, then it kind of gets approved. And because that happens too much, because doctors have to deal with the patients, you end up with this system where you've got gatekeepers that are bureaucrats. And so then it becomes this like mechanism of trying to manipulate the, the bureaucrats who are the gatekeepers and the doctors in order to make it so that you can have proper care for your, your grandparent or parent. So that idea that we see the institutions becoming more and more ungodly and the people who provide the money control the structures of how they operate because the person who pays for the procedure is the one who chooses what procedure you get. Mm. And so that being the case, we need Christian hospitals and all the hospitals used to be Christian and we gave them up. Yeah. And the education system was made up of Christian schools and we gave them up. And so what we have is all these anti-Christian wicked systems around us now. And what we have to do is we have to accumulate capital and build new institutions. And the way that happens is in the household. So you have to have a good church. That's a public institution. We need a good civil government. That's a public institution. But the private institutions include the household and every type of business you can imagine because general dominion, the general work of increasing property, the general work of increasing the organization of labor, the accumulating of capital, the deploying of capital in order to build things, to hire th people, to get customers, to provide services where you're exchanging money for services, that kind of thing. All that, that's the ordinary domain of the household. That's the authority given to the household. And men mm. who run their households well are people who are showing themselves fit to potentially serve in public office in the church and in the state. So we have to build institutions. And that's the only way we're going to get out of this mess of having a bunch of godless institutions where we do not have the stuff that we need um, with a Christian perspective. And people want it to all go into the church. They want to say, oh, the church needs to fix all this stuff or the government needs to fix all this stuff. And neither one is the place to do it. They have very mm. limited functions. They are institutions of public authority. And the institutions of public authority have a limited authority grant. And those limited authority grants restrain freedom to some extent. Mm. They are grants of authority that make it so that people have an obligation to obey. Now, when they go beyond that extent, they are tyrannical. But when they're within it, they are exercising lawful authority. And so we need to realize that if we try to throw stuff at the church and at the state, what we're doing is we're giving away our freedom and we are making ourselves into slaves. Okay. Are you able to see some of the questions um, up here? I don't think you can see them. Uh, one of the things that uh, JGJ just asked, he's like, should we consider breaking up medical systems to be smaller? So that, who's we, right? If, if, the <laughs> we, if the we is the state, right? The state has no authority to take property from somebody saying, you know what? You have too much stuff. Mm. We're going to make your stuff get spread out. That spreading out of stuff is a, is a tyrannical act of the state. If we have a monopoly problem, the only way a monopoly can exist without serving people well is Can you hear me? Yeah, there you go. You're back. Okay. All right. 
So the only way a monopoly can exist without a government grant of monopoly is. But ain't nothing but the devil right now. Now, see, this is a this is a spirit. I, I rebuke that spirit right now in the name of Jesus. I'm gonna need everybody in here to pray for for this internet signal because this is the second time. Now, if it was in a different place, David, I think it'll be all right. But I think this is the government, and I think it's the the prison powers of the airway. They know what you're about to say, and they don't like it at all. So go. Let's try it. If it happened again on the third time, we shutting this down, and we're gonna go gather somewhere. <laughs> Because they're coming. All right, go ahead. <laughs> if, the video, if the video keeps coming, if the video keeps coming out, cutting out, I'll, I'll switch over to audio and we'll. If, we'll if I start hearing that. hearing gunshots over there where you at, I know what went down. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. So, all right. So, the government has no power to break up monopolies if they are established by a free market. Mm. That is simply using the government as a tool of envy to be mad about how somebody else has pulled together resources and provided services effectively. So and I thought we didn't what, like fascism, what, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be fascist right. too? Yeah, come on. It, right, right. So so the breaking up of monopolies is something that, that the government has no place in. When a person is using their wealth to extort people, guess what you punish them for? Extortion. You don't break up a monopoly, you punish them for extortion. Right now, um, if a person has a monopoly, it's for one of two reasons. One, it's been given to them by a government grant, mm. say like a patent or a monopoly on an industry, or there's like a utility monopoly or whatever. Or two, they are serving so well for so little, like so cheaply, that competition cannot work against it. So people want to say, well, what about manipulating the markets on a local level or whatever, and, and blah blah blah. It's like Look, there are, if there's a large industry and there's a lot of people that are using it, there are lots of people that want to rise up to compete. If there are people that want to rise up to compete, that monopoly, if it wants to maintain its position, has to be so efficient and so effective and serve so well that nobody else can compete. Now, you might go, well, there's something imperfect here or whatever. Like, that's fine. There's always going to be imperfections. But competition only works when somebody else is able to pull together the capital and the skill set to compete efficiently. And mm. if somebody is so cheap and so good that you can't compete, then that's the way it happens. So one of the examples of that is what happened with Rockefeller with the oil industry. He, he basically you know, monopolized the refinery system for a long time, and then that got broken up when he had standard oil. Well, the, the cost of oil during the time that he had a monopoly – declined by a huge percentage over time. The quality of the, of the stuff that was pro provided was dramatically improved. The price went down to the consumer. It was you know better quality with more variety. And the reason it got broken up was by monopoly. And the result of breaking up the monopoly was that the prices of oil went up for everybody. Mm. And so when you, when you look at governments breaking up monopolies that are actually serving people well, and I'm not trying to say the Rockefeller family is good or anything like that, but Rockefeller, the original guy, the guy who made Standard Oil, he effectively built a business, and that business was very effective at serving people and getting a cheap product out. So that's an unpopular opinion. But it's right. All right. So hold on. I want to throw this one in here. Uh, handcrafted by MD, what would be your next step to practically build these types of institutions you have uh, after you have the basics of family worship, raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, et cetera? Great. That's a great. That's a great transition into, frankly, talking about the idea of the man of valor. Yeah. Right. So, so what what do you have to do? So this is all 
the process of you, you have things in a good place. You're in a place where you are functioning well. You can provide for yourself. You can provide for a wife. You can provide for a family. Um, you're, you're doing things that will bring the blessing of God on it. And so this place, you have the church as a network to be able to find other people to potentially work with as well. Mm-hmm. And so you're finding brothers that you can work with. And so in that context, what you try to do is you try to be skilled. You try to serve well. If you're an employee, you serve exceptionally well. He, you know, he who tends to the fig tree will eat of its fruit. He who serves his master well will receive the fruit of the reward for that. Right? And so we're told in Proverbs that. We're also told that he who is exceptionally skilled will not serve in front of obscure men. He'll serve in front of kings. Amen. Generally speaking, you know, people who are richer tend to pay more prices to get better quality. So that suggests that you're going to make more money. So as you start to pull together resources and you have a wife, and your wife is not just a person who is there who is thinking, I'm here to do my own thing. Rather, like the Bible says, she's your helpmate. So you are working together to exercise dominion and to increase what's under your stewardship. You now have the division of labor to be able to deal with things. And as you have children, and those children are raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and they're trained, they begin to do work. And as they're doing work, they are reliable, trustworthy servants. And as they continue to start and do that work, they are helping you, and you are able to accumulate capital, and you can then use capital to bless them. So that's mm. a generic. So let, let's talk about how does this go into the more particular, okay? Yeah. So in both of the list of the qualifications for a civil magistrate in Genesis, sorry, in Exodus 18, verse 21. The first thing it says is you have to be an Ishkael, a man who is competent or a man of valor. Um, one of the qualifications for the, the Andros, the man who is supposed to be an officer in the church, is he has to have cosmion, which is well-orderedness. He has to be well-ordered. So... Mm. You need to, in particular, study the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is going to set you up for wise behavior with customers. They're your superiors. It's going to set you up for wise behavior with employees who are under your authority. It's going to set you up for wise behavior in negotiating. It's going to tell you traps to avoid. It's going to help you to not do behaviors that destroy everything you've ever built. Because let's be real here. If you just work faithfully, people get rich. That's generally the, the process. Mm. Okay? Why do people not get rich? Because they blow their money on stupid stuff. Mm. The amount of money we spend on entertainment, on stupid things, on trying to impress stupid people, on trying to chase after girls we shouldn't try to chase, on you know infidelity, the way that women, if you give your strength to women, you're just pouring out the resources God has given to you to be wasted. Oh, right? oh you say sugar so, daddy? Is that what you're talking about, sugar daddies? Yeah, mm. Absolutely an example of that. Absolutely. So these things, right, sins destroy productivity, drunkenness, drugs, the escapism of seeking after entertainment, wasting your time in all sorts of stupid movies, stupid shows, stupid books, right? These types of things. Let's be real. We have tons of time that we mm. should be spending on productive things. So you want to build wealth? It's not easy. It's not easy. Working is not easy. Like, like you have lots of stuff to do and there's thorns and thistles, the thorns and thistles, they make your hands bleed. And you told me once, you know, they make your soul hurt. And I remember you, you telling me about that. And I was talking about how, you know, you, when you accomplish something, the way that, that it, it chews up your soul, when you, 
there's a cost to accomplishing things. There is a price to leadership. And mm. when you when you are leading people to do stuff, like it 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 consumes you. You you are pouring yourself out. And so there is a price to it. And so if you if you give your strength to chase after entertainment, drugs, wine, women, whatever, that stuff's going to blow the the resources, the time, the the ability, the strength that you've got. So what you have to have is you have to have the ability to focus in on the goal. That's why we talked about being prophetic, priestly, and kingly. The prophet needs wisdom, study wisdom, get wisdom, work with wise men, learn from them. If you're not ready to lead yet, don't pretend you are. Right? Like, like everybody wants to be the guy. Everybody wants to be the king. Everybody wants to be the leader. You need to mm. be a good follower to learn to be a good king. And so if you don't know how to serve well, if you don't know what the difficulties are of loyalty, let me tell you what, it is hard to follow. It is hard to be somebody's servant and to be a good servant. Before I, I took over Armored Republic, before I bought it, I served for seven years underneath the owner. I was his servant. And I tried to serve him well. And we were able to come to a deal where I was able to buy the company. And so that process of serving well, I'm not just telling people to like, you know, go do the thing. And I did something totally different. I'm saying, look, I, I had to work for a wage. I tried to look for all sorts of things. I was able to buy, you know, some rental properties and stuff like that while I was an employee. But the process of accumulating capital through work and then figuring out how do you borrow other people's money? How do you convince other people to invest in what you're doing? How do you build a team? These are things that require a lot of work. So I want to talk about the details of those types of things, but I, I think that there's this desire to get to the fast forward button. And I am telling you, there's not a fast forward button. Mm. The button is something you have to hit over and over and over again. And it is you pro the process of getting wisdom of refocusing yourself in holiness to pursue after the things of God and to do good dominion work. And the law of God being studied in detail so that you can make righteous choices and that you can make them decisively. Because if you want to accomplish things, you have to make lots of decisions and they have to be good. Because if you're not right most of the time, you will destroy tons of value, you will destroy your people's confidence, and you will waste enormous amounts of resources and you will go broke. And so, what you have to do is you have to have the wisdom that comes from the word of God and a zeal to accomplish the mission and to be focused. Because if you open up every other possible line of getting stuff done, if you just try to say, hey, here's all the stuff I want to do, let's do it all at once. You try to boil the ocean, you run out of fuel quick. Mm. You have to boil one bucket and use that and get the thing done. And so focus in. Oh my goodness. Focusing in is a key thing in order to accomplish um, anything worthwhile. You know, it's and so it requires yeah. this, this, this long building of wisdom, the focus that's required of a priest, and you have to guard the hedges of people you're working with so you don't bring in people that are going to destroy it or undermine, and then you have to lead effectively. And so that effective leadership, that's the Ishkael, that's the man of valor, that's the man with Cosmion. And so that requires that decisiveness. That decisiveness comes from the law of God. And it comes from skill. Because look, there's, there's knowledge, the things we can have certainty about, 
And those are in the word of God. And then there's skill. The Hebrew word for that is, is Haskell. So you have, you have Hokmah, which is wisdom, and you have Haskell, which is skill. So the book of Proverbs has both words in there a lot. And when you see the word wisdom, like if you see like be wise or become wise or whatever, the, the difference between the two words is very significant. When you see the word wisdom or wise in Proverbs, I strongly encourage you to figure out, is this Hokmah or is this Haskell? Because Hokmah is the knowledge of God and of his law. It's the knowledge of what's good and how to get what's good. And Haskell is skill. So like knowledge would be like, I know it's wrong to murder. Six commandment. Skill would be if I'm going to be a good doctor and do surgery well to avoid killing my patient. Right? The Bible doesn't give you a step-by-step playbook on how to do surgery. That's Haskell. It's a skill. It is something that is not knowledge in the strict sense. It's not a science. It's art, which is hilarious because we call you know medicine a science, right? Science, right. it's an art, it's a techne, it's a it's not knowledge, it's not wisdom, it's not from the, the revealed truth of God. It is a set of skills, it's art. So so you have to develop skills to be able to perform particular type of work. So this is this is me giving some of the fast forward on this. What we have to do is kind of jump back into this man of valor and talk about the man of valor in, in greater detail because you have to get the fundamentals in place. Everybody wants to know how to be the quarterback that can throw the winning pass. That's but right. if the quarterback doesn't know how to scan the field, and if the quarterback doesn't know how to throw, and if the quarterback doesn't know how to avoid being immediately sacked, and if his receiver doesn't know how to break away, and his receiver doesn't know how to catch and to watch for the ball coming in, then that's not going to work. There are so many fundamentals that have to be practiced over and over and over again for you to get there. Come on, so if you man. want to build something, we have to study the fundamentals. And, and so and, you, know, you and I have been oh, talking about the fundamentals now. Just, yeah. No, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts because everybody is willing to forget them. You know, everybody acts like that. We become experts at something without the fundamentals. And the family is one of the most fun. Actually, I'll take even a step back. Individual self-government is one of the most important fundamentals we need to have right now. I mean, porn runs rampant because men don't know how to control themselves and don't and have such weak desires. That's a weak desire, not a strong one. And we don't have the self, we don't have the fundamentals of self-government. And it won't, we don't have the, the fundamentals of marriage and family, just the basics of that. You know, that's basic. Okay, I, I, I just want to put this up. Did I get the right website here? Puritan Reformed Church. Um, that's your website, right? Because I didn't. That's right. Okay, PuritanPHX.com. Right. So you can hear, I've been to the church. It's good preaching. It's good preaching. You get a little taste of that right there. Um, there. So there goes a the website up there for everybody watching. If you're in Phoenix, there goes another Puritan church you can go to. Is there another? I think the only one. Are you the only Puritan church out there? There are uh, there are two other churches in town that are that are psalm singing churches that are uh, we kind of have a Puritan perspective as well. And, um, and then there are a number of, of Baptist churches in town that are uh, reformed and there's a number of kind of reformed Presbyterian churches. Um, so those are the kind of, that's the sphere that we interact with a lot, but, but we talk about you know, being Puritan. We typically think of, you know, being Psalm singers or being exclusive Psalm singers. Yep. Okay. And, and so that's uh Puritan PH X.com. And if you go down to the bottom 
of that page. You can watch them, some videos there, but I want to tell you, you can go and listen to the sermons. I do that. I really go and listen to the sermons and, and download those sermons. Great stuff. Um, a lot of, anyway, there's go, go to the website. You can see at the bottom there where you can need to go. If you want to, uh, listen to the sermons. Also, um, David is also, uh, the CEO of Armor Republic, which is a sponsor of the Fight, Laugh, Feast um, Network and Cross Politic. Go to their website, get some use and body armor, ar500armor.com. You can see the website up here, ar500armor.com. Um, I know he didn't come on here to shill his stuff, but man, when you started preaching, I was like, man, I hope folks give you an offering and either go to your church or go to your website here and get something um, to can support. Cause I don't, you know, one of the things that you don't usually see is a, a pastor who is engaging in this type of thinking and uh, the practical side of a business as well, right? We have one or the other. And in this case, we have both. Oh, I didn't, I'm going to go up there and I didn't show the website for Armor Republic. Let me start showing that. There we go. There you go. There goes the website for Armor Republic, AR500Armor.com, AR500Armor.com. Go check out their website, get you some body armor and all kinds of other goodies up there. And then um, go to the church website, PuritanPHX.com. All right. Um, I want to get back to where we were. So I just want to take that breather real quick because I need to take a breath there. Um, David, do you know, because this person, I see them up here in the chat, thinking Zelig, thinking Zelig. I see you, but I don't see that you've shared this show and I see that you're requesting to speak. And I just want you to know, I'm not going to give you access to speak if you ain't shared the show. So I'm just going to tell you like that. So you better go share the show first and then you can ask David a question. If anybody else wants to ask David a question, feel free um, in spaces or X, I'll have it all ready. And I see you're following this person too, David. I don't know. Um, I don't trust that person. Uh, yeah, we'll see about that anyway. Um, so feel free anytime you want. I want this to be a blessing to you guys who are listening. I want to make it interactive. So if you guys want to ask David a question, he is here to answer your questions. And I, I have no, no doubt in my mind, he's going to have a great answer for you. All right. So, David, did we work through well enough the um, the family and the economic realities and um, establishing men of valor to be able to move now into the church? Because and there's a couple there's a couple things I want people to know and see very clearly what we're doing. We're not just having a conversation about governments where we're establishing the social order of the world. Right now, we don't think about the world this way. We think about the world as operating with one government the civil magistrate. But what we're talking about is restructuring towards a biblical understanding of the world, individual, family, church, civil. And every way, every time we think about how things should operate and which uh, problem we're dealing with, we're saying whose government is over this and whose, whose responsibility is this? So who has the real authority to deal with the situation? And so all of this is a restructuring of how the world should operate. So do you think we've kind of done enough there to move on to now? Cause I, we haven't talked about economy yet, the, the full economy and how that works, but I think we can, sure, move I, to think, the I think we, we, we may have to, we may have to move the, it sounds like we may have to move the church discussion out maybe the next oh, time. Okay. You got um, more stuff you want to say on economy, don't you? So, so I think that, yeah, with the title here, we got right. People are going, well, how do you, how do you do it? How do you actually pay for the stuff? How do you do the thing? Right. So I think mm. let, let's, let's zero in there. Let's see what we can get. But okay. All right. Okay. So here's, here's the reality of how stuff works. 
Okay. You, you first of all are taking care of your body and the people around you and making sure you can do your very basic duties. And there's an order of, of duties to care for, right? So we've talked about how do you make sure that you you're leading a wife, leading your children and making sure you're taken care of. You've got the worship for the individual, right. the household, the church. So you're doing that. So what do you do then, right? You, you start to develop a basic skill. You start to work. You pr- you're able to provide value to other people and get things in exchange. When you start to have capital, right? And we, we, we all throw our capital into our 401k or, you know, uh, Roth IRA or whatever. We're doing this stuff. Why are we doing all that? We're doing it because it's tax advantaged and we're trying to reduce how much the government takes from us. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we put it into these investments where we're expecting to get like a seven to 9% compounding annual growth rate. Right. And so, and those investments are all controlled by the heathen. And so we put all our capital there and we're trying to get the heathen to give us some of the money back. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently, but we typically don't have a lot of capital to throw into other stuff. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to manage your house well, if you're going to be well ordered, what that means is you've been able to break through barriers to get the resources to provide for your house. And you've also been able to figure out how to make sure that you can pay your wages to your employees. You've been able to pull something together to do something useful. So if a man is not a good provider, he shouldn't be an officer in the church or in the state. And if you don't have that, and I, I want to talk about how to be a good provider and how to actually do the capital formation piece, but I need everybody to hear this. In the book of Judges, there is the parable of the bramble bush. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get the productive leader, what you get is somebody who wants to control the productivity of somebody else. Okay, so that's dangerous. So everybody thinks it's unheavenly, it's earthly, it's worldly to to want to look for people who are good businessmen, good providers, good workers, to then have them be officers of the church. That's not the case. So what you'll find is a lot of people saying, oh, that guy should never have been an elder. He was just chosen because he was a good businessman. We'll tell you what, being a good businessman was not enough for him to be an elder. There's lots of other qualifications, too. But if he is not able to do business decently, if he's not able to do it well, if he's not able to make a profit, then he shouldn't be an elder. That doesn't mean that he can't have a failed venture. That just means that he needs to have a display of skill. Somebody can fail at something, but if they can't do anything, if they can't accomplish anything, if they can't trade their time, if nobody's willing to pay them enough that's worth it, then what you've got is a guy who's not well-ordered. He's not a man of valor. So is the guy a guy you'd want to hire to work for you? If not, he's not fit for the office of elder or deacon. So then if we, if we go from that into now, you've got to have productive guys to lead. How does that productivity manifest itself? It's developing a skill. It's working for somebody decently, and it's enough to be able to pay for things. And you're able to then start to build up some capital. Now, hmm. Charlie Munger has this thing where he talks about the hardest thing is to get the first 100,000. And that number is totally variable dependent upon the culture that you're in, the currency that you're in. But here's the basic idea. Enough money to get two years, three years wages in capital. That's hard. That's really hard. And that's why in old cultures, what would happen is people who were sons 
before they left the house, they were doing the work of accumulating capital. David, I so just what I want to tell you is here's the next step. I, I got to break in because this is such a great point. This is actually how we started the whole show. We just had a young lady, Hannah, our sp the sponsor for here, um, gathered $9,000 worth of capital while she's at home with her parents, right? And so her father created an opportunity for her, newhearttreasures.com, the, the first sponsor that I've had for Knox Unleashed. She's, she's doing exactly what you just said, right? She's gathering right. capital and, and it's enough to start a company that she can start making money, more money with. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that point up. Absolutely. And so whether it's starting a new company or whether it's working for somebody else and building up wages and developing the skills so that you could lead your own company, doing that work early on. So what we do instead is we send our kids off to college and we have them load up on debt. And then they go and get a job that, you know, on average is like forty or $50,000 a year exiting out of college. And they've typically got that much or more debt. And so instead, I mean, let's be real here. You can just go work for 30 or 40 or $50,000 a year with no skills mm -hmm. and you can learn skills and you can go rise up. You know, I have a college degree and my college degree, the first job I had after my college degree was completed was as a relatively low paid manager at a Walmart as a customer service manager. I was Somehow I accidentally got through where I told somebody I wasn't going to work on the Lord's day and they were like, Oh, and they let me through and they were like, you have to work on the Lord's day. I was like, I can't, I told you guys in the interview, I can't. And they wouldn't have hired me apparently if they had like realized it, if I got through their system, but it, <laughs> somehow I, I ended up there. So I had these janitors that worked for the store that were relatives of the general manager and they wouldn't show up to work a lot. And they reported to me. So I could like, you know, tell a customer service agent or a, or a, or a cashier and tell them, Hey, go clean the bathroom. But I didn't want to do that. Cause I was like, these guys have got it rough. Like, and I'm not going to make them do that. I'm going to deal with it. So what I like to tell people is my history degree qualified me to clean toilets because the janitors didn't show up and I had to clean toilets. That's what I did when I got my history degree. So the, the degree from college is not something that's going to guarantee some, some glorious job and it's not going to guarantee significant pay. And so I've had like precisely two times where anybody has asked me if I have a college degree and neither of them mattered. It was after I already basically had the job, you know? So it's just like this thing was not something that made it so that I could get a job. Um, so what I would say is instead use the time to earn money. Now, mm. as you earn money, you accumulate that capital in your parents' home. I'll tell you what, if you go and live on your own, you know what the three principal expenses are that you have to deal with in order to survive <laughs> in America? The average American spends money on room, they spend money on a car, and they spend money on food. Okay? Now, if you're a son in your parents' home, they'll probably give you some food for free. They'll either give you no rent or cheap rent, and they probably make it so that you can borrow a car or whatever, or you've got a car and you have a cheap car being there. Your expenses are so much lower being with your parents if you're trying to bless them and serve them and honor them rather than mouth off or anything like that. And as a result, you can probably store away. You get your taxes taken out, you tithe, and you can probably then have like 70 or 80% of what you've got because you're probably not making enough to get more than the 10% or 20% tax rate. And then from there, the money that you've got, you go, 
maybe you're going to spend five or ten percent of it if you're a disciplined young man on stuff you want to entertain yourself or to do things useful hobbies woodworking whatever and the rest of it you can just put it away and so that idea you can build up capital so imagine being able to save up 50 60 70 percent of the money you're making for two three years while you're working honoring your parents being in their home being productive and useful helping them with a little bit of the expenses or whatever helping to bear the load trying to honor them for all the ways they blessed you Compare that to I'm going to go spend 70, 80, 90% just to make it so I can pay for my car, my rent, my food. And then I'm going to look for entertainment because I'm so exasperated and blown out that I'm going to like spend the money I've gotten, waste my time on entertainment to deal with the fact that I'm stressed out. And so you don't have any money, you don't have any time, and your savings gradually accumulate. You're collecting 5%, 10% of the money you've got. And if you're putting money in the 401k, you know, to get the match, like none of it's anything you can touch for 65 years. So, you know. Have fun doing anything while you're young. Mm. So the path that the world has laid out for us is the stupidest thing that has ever been done. It's meant to make men incapable of being independent. Mm. And when we put our when we put our daughters over there, right? What we're doing is we're setting them up to never be able to be mothers. So that methodology, if instead, right, you're building up capital and trying to develop skills and increase what you can make. Then by the time you get out, if you're able to save 60, 70, 80% of what you're making and you're able to store it away, maybe you can do some minor stuff, right? Buy a car, fix it up, sell it, whatever. Like, like, you know, you can put money down onto something like a piece of property. And here's the deal. If you want to make money, you either can work for it or you can use the money you've already got and you can use that to try to accomplish something where you're making money on a trade or making income off of the work of others or off of a resource. So capital accumulation is the big thing to get your time free. So the capital accumulation process is the hard part. And the way to do that easily as a young man is to work while you're young. It's good for a man to work in his youth. And so when you work in your youth, what you do is you accumulate that money, you put it away, you do it Put it into stuff. You're investing it. You're learning to trade. You're making deals. You know, if you're over 18, you know, it, it would certainly be illegal and you should never do this because it would be illegal. But you could probably pretty easily buy some guns and then sell them for a profit. But that would be illegal. And it's a totally constitutional and biblical law. So when you are trading things that you know about, right? If you know a thing, like you know cars, you know guns, you know ammunition, you know whatever, there's things you know about and they retain value decently and you can buy them and resell them. If you get a few thousand dollars, then what you can do is you can make money off of small amounts of money using the network you've got, buying and selling stuff. Mm. And so that's a part of the capital accumulation process for the young. When you've got more time and energy and strength and you're sociable and you know people who want things, you can understand what people want and you can buy it and you can sell it. Okay, David, hold on. Before, because you're about to, are you about to transition to the old, what you do when you're older? A little bit. I'm going to go into the, like, once you've got a little, once you, once you break that little, like, you know, you've got a year or two worth of capital stored up. Okay. The $100,000 mark. So. Because what I want you to do before you go jump into the old is I want you to speak to fathers who have sons that are probably like, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, and they're thinking about them, the teenage sons that are on this way too, because they need to, I think a lot of men have missed this. And so they need to be thinking about their sons in the same way. How can they set them up in that manner? So just don't forget that as you're, before you transition. 
So setting up your sons in this way looks like this. It looks like teaching them to work and, and helping them to care about money when they're young. And so one of the things I do to help my kids to care about money when they're young is I pay them for things that I want them to do. You get more of what you subsidize and you get less of what you penalize. Um, so the, the things that I like to reward my kids for is stuff like memorizing questions from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Mm. Show me that you can memorize it. And that reminds me, I had Jonathan, my, my, my nine-year-old, he had a, another question he memorized this morning and I forgot to listen to him. So Jonathan, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to you this evening. I'm going to, we'll see if you got the question memorized and we'll see if you get your reward. Um, so, but so you, you got, um, you got this idea of things you want them to do and you have them do things that are a little bit hard that require some discipline. Memory is a great thing to, to like reward stuff for. And then, you know, things like yard work, whatever. So stuff that you're going to make them do anyways, that's fine. Make them do it and give them chores, but consider having a reward for if they're doing them and make that reward easy to obtain in small cycles of time. So early on, the younger somebody is, the sooner they need the reward to be following after the thing they had to do. So, so when they're really young, you're making their reward as simple and close to the reality as possible. And people talk about like, don't make food a reward. It's like, well, the Lord made food a reward. So, you know, get over it. Like, you know, if your kid likes ice cream, like make them do some work and tell them that they can have some ice cream afterwards if they do the thing you want them to do. Give them rewards and you gradually replace the rewards with things like money or with other things like that, where they get to have some sort of reward. Make them small so that you're going, here's this thing and make it so they can use it for something good and then start to train them after they're doing work. If they have a good work ethic, you start to give them not only rewards for that, but you start to give them now this idea of, hey, the work is good. You should think about projects you want to accomplish and you start to have them save their money as opposed to just spending it. You start to have them as opposed to getting rewards that are things like pleasures, like ice cream, you're having them do money and so they can Spend some of it, save some of it. So by the time they're a teenager, right, they're able to not only have some savings, but they're able to also start to work in a way that other people would actually want to hire them. And mm -hmm. I also think that we have this idea that we need to educate everybody up until they're like 18 or 20 or whatever. I'll tell you what, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, you can learn a lot of stuff and you can do a lot of useful things. If you're going to go, if you're, if you're really wealthy and you can afford to have your young men just study and you have like really great tutors that you're like, these guys are going to fill this guy's head with wisdom and they're great character and all that kind of stuff. Okay, great. But if you're not, let's not pretend to be, right? The university system was meant for those who had lots of resources and you had young men that were going to inherit positions of authority or responsibility or money. And so it was like, here's how you help to train those men to be broad-minded liberal thinkers, to be men who are free men with the liberal arts, the arts that are necessary for a free man. So... If you're not there where you have independent wealth, help them to make money in lower ways sooner. Mm. And let's not all run around pretending like we live in a society where everybody owns Pemberley. Mm. So that situation from there, when you've got that set up where the son is working, he's learned to make a wage, he's willing to save and not blow all the money. That's the hard part to get to. Everything after that's easy. Mm. All right. So... Uh, Zink, think Ziggly, uh, Zelig, sorry, think Zelig. I still haven't seen that you shared the show, so I'm not going to let you talk. But we do have Ellie, the assistant. Ellie, do you have a question for Pastor Reese? 
I do. Um, you were mentioning, um, David, that uh, just about saving money after taxes and tithing. And I wondered um, if you can speak to the tithing part. I've heard it said in the past that it's an Old Testament law in the in our day today, it's kind of put aside whatever you want. I've ha- heard other pastors say, no, you have to put a minimum of 10%. So 10% is your minimum. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that just to get clarity. Um, Cause I, I don't want to be legalistic, but I, I want to know what is the proper understanding of that. Hold on for your seat. Hold on for your seat. <laughs> so it's first, about to go first of all, I appreciate interacting with Elle on Twitter. She's she's great. So so first, uh, so thank you for the question. That's great. And uh, secondly, um, okay. So first, let's define legalism. Okay, what is legalism? Mm-hmm. Legalism has one of three commonly used definitions. Legalism is either one justification by works. Okay, so is tithing necessary for salvation? No. Uh, okay, first definition of legalism: dead, destroyed. That's not what we're saying. Secondly, the second definition of legalism, man-made law as opposed to God's law. So are we saying that we should tithe if God's law does not require it? No. So now all the question is, okay, do we believe that the law of God teaches us what we should do? And if we mean legalism by that, if that's what we mean, like the law of God tells us what's good to do and what's not good to do, then sure, I'm a legalist. Call me it all day long, right? That's the the thing. I know you weren't calling me a legalist, but I'm just letting you know, this is the canned response that I would highly encourage you to have to anybody who says legalism. Um, So those are the three things. So then if this is what God's law says, let's let's examine that. So where where do we see the tithe? The tithe is certainly a part of the temple system. The temple system teaches us certain things. You have, you have uh, laws that require us to do certain practices, and the, some of them relate to the temple. And so the idea of gathering in the temple, um, what we have to look at in terms of those laws, we have to ask ourselves, is there anything where those come before then, before the temple system, or do they come and are they displayed after? And is there a moral teaching there that we have to deal with? Because the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, they have two categories. They are either foreshadowings that show us things that are going to be fulfilled, and when they're fulfilled, they go away, or they are moral teachings that have an external element that reminds us of that moral thing. So, for example, one of those moral teachings would be the Apostle Paul says, you know, here's the, you don't muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain, therefore you should pay preachers, right? He has a whole line of argument for it, but, but his whole point is the workman's worthy of his wages, and so he, he argues from that ceremonial law's moral principle to the application to a man. And so when we look at the tithe, we have to ask ourselves, is this purely a symbolic and ceremonial thing? Is it a foreshadowing of something that's fulfilled in Christ? Or is there some moral teaching here? What's the moral teaching it might engage in? It's teaching us there's some portion of our income that we need to devote to the service of God and for the administration of the church. And we look at the functions. What was the tithe for? The tithe was for three functions. To pay the officers in the temple system, the priests and Levites, it was to provide for the orphans and widows, and it was to pay for the ministry itself in terms of you know having things that occurred like the temple being built and having things that happen in the temple. So it was the officers, the ministry, and the poor. We see in the New Testament that the diaconal 
service, the work of the deacons is supposed to be, they make sure that officers get paid. We saw that from Paul taking the, you know, the don't muzzle the ox. We saw the idea of, of there's supposed to be a, we see in the Bible, the idea of a diaconal ministry to care for the orphans and widows. That function is still there. And then there's things like buying bread and wine and making sure you have, you know, clean water to baptize people with. And, you know, there's the having of things that you're going to hold the wine in. There's the having of things to put the bread on. You're going to have a place to meet, right? And you might have some other things like you're going to print stuff for people. Those three functions of the church are still there. The money still has the same functions. So the tithe is the finance mechanism to support those three functions. Those three functions still exist. So we have to have a finance mechanism for the church to function. And in addition to that finance mechanism, what we have to have is a knowledge of what is the extent that my conscience has to be, you know, involved here in this giving. Like, like, do I need to give everything? Because I've heard lots of preachers tell me I need to give them everything. I've had lots of preachers say you need to devote everything to God. And any penny that you're not putting into, you know, the church, you, you, you got to justify not having it in the church. No, 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 no. Any, any penny you're not putting into a good work, you need to justify not putting it into a good work. But the good works are not principally done in the church in terms of its organization and its structure and the officers. Most of the good works are done by members of the church in their homes, in their private lives. So you need most of your capital for that. So how do we know how much to give? Well, 10% is the number that's given, and it doesn't just originate in the Levitical law. The first time tithing occurs, what we see is we have Abraham giving one-tenth to the priesthood that's after the order of Melchizedek. And the book of Hebrews argues that, the, that, that Levi, who receives tithes from his brothers, gave a tithe through Abraham to Melchizedek. And so we have this idea that there was a tithing that occurred there. So we have the example of tithing. The same word is used to talk about the tithe to the Levites as the tithe that Abraham gave to Melchizedek. And so you have this tithing activity that's occurring in the Old Testament. And in addition to that, you also have Jacob in uh, when he leaves and he is going to uh, uh, to leave his parents' house because he's freeing, fleeing from Esau after he tricked Esau and, and, and after his, his father dies. And he's, he's fleeing and he goes to Laban's house. He swears on the way, your father, if you, if you keep me alive and just give me so I have food to eat and clothing on my back, I'll give you a tenth of all I have you know, at the end of that time. Well, when we covenant with God, when we vow with God, we can only vow to do those things that are lawful, that are commanded. And so he is showing us that it was already lawful. It was already commanded to give a tithe. So we have Abraham, we have Jacob, we have the Hebrews interpretation, and then we have the fact that all the functions still exist and we need a finance mechanism. So yes, I believe the tithe continues as an ongoing ordinance. It is the basic mechanism for the financing of the kingdom. And then people are allowed to give more as free will offerings beyond that. But I believe that the tithe is that. Well, all right. So, um, David, I know you have to run because you, you've already devoted enough time. And I'm so thankful for this. But thinking Zelig, you have the floor. I saw you just shared everything. Do you have a question for David? And what is it? Yes, I, I do. Uh, nice, nice. Uh, are you having me on not? Yeah, uh, David. We, I, I got shadow banned after we had our interaction on Twitter. <laughs> I guess I'm great. I guess the way that I'm responding. So that's why you can't see my, my comments. But my question that I was actually going to ask you, one of the posts, when we were interacting, um, 
is why do you think that in American Christian culture, we don't all become like carpenters like Jesus. Instead, we kind of have more of a culture of kind of like in the pagan Roman Catholic tradition where we don't devote ourselves to trades, but more to kind of like we, we believe our spiritual leaders are not supposed to be tradesmen like Jesus. Like I, I look at the Greek because me and you have a similar background, not only Gordon Clark, but college education, all of that. Um, and I, what I notice is that when pagans worship, the, you know, Thor or Vulcan, they usually would adopt a trade that was according to their God. But in Christianity, they're, we're not known for being house builders or carpenters, right, or architects. We're like, we're absent of that. Do, do you think that it's a Roman Catholic thing? Or why do you think we don't have that culture of, of, of mimicking Jesus being house builders? Thank you, sir. I'll let you, um, David, go ahead. I'll let you respond. Yeah. So I think, I think the idea of, of being a Ishkael, being a man of valor is being a man who's decisive in battle and decisive in business. I think that being a, a, you know, a man with Cosmion is that being well-ordered. And I think that the, the fact that we don't have decisive business work and the idea of skill at craft as a part of what we look for in Can you hear me, Knox? Uh -oh. There we go. Yeah, well, you're back. What was the last thing you got? Um, the reason that we don't have the skill that we look for. What was the last thing you got? I think we're having a little delay here. I, sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start over. I can't. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. That's fine. It's just, go ahead. Okay. So, all right. So basically, I think that we have this view of the pastorate that makes it so that it needs to be a profession, makes so people. Um, and I think that that is destructive. Then we have a view of the pastorate that makes it so that they should not do other work. And Here we go. The pastor said they shouldn't do other work. Bro, you just you just getting that FBI tap. That's what you getting. Y'all pray for David right now. If he if it if it, David don't come back and the stream just goes black, we just gonna have a prayer meeting because I just think that he's under attack right now. I don't know if it's the government. I don't know if it's uh the the, the just you know he, he sells body armor and he's got a whole company called Armor Republic where there's no king but Christ. Ain't nobody people don't like that. You know what I'm saying? People don't like that. So hey. <laughs> If he comes back, that's great. If he doesn't, then we just, dang it. I wanted him to recap the last few things uh, before he he signed off, but it seems like he's being forced to sign off. Yeah, I'll pray for David. There we go. David, Max, you can you hear me? Okay, there you go. There we go. We had I'm, only on, I'm only on spaces. I'm only on spaces. Are so you, David, my, video, my video is disconnected. David, just tell me you're okay and that nobody's at the door and they just shut your internet down. So just tell me you're all right. I'm I'm good. Nobody shot me yet. <laughs> All right. So, okay. So, can I can I answer that question yeah, about the go the, ahead? The, the All right. So, all right. So basically, we've made it to the pastorate as a professional gig where you're not allowed to do anything else. Right. And we also think there should be one dude. There's the guy. 
And so we make it the guy as opposed to there's plural elders who are equals. That's very different. So the way we do things at my church is we say, hey, every officer is somebody who's supposed to receive some sort of portion of the money that's set aside for officers, and we need to vote on the ones that are the most productive. And the idea is that a rule, you know, an elder who rules well by teaching well in the word is an elder who's worthy of a double portion. And so we think about there are functions that are established in the word of God. There's the deacon, there's the elder, and those you're supposed to have plural of both. And then what you do is you have somebody's got to moderate the meetings. They're called princes in the Old Testament in terms of like the guys that moderate the council. And you had the scribes or clerks, and those are the those are the clerks of court. And so those are extra work. So those are things that you could give somebody extra work, you know, extra pay for. So you judge the quality of their work and you judge those functions and you pay them. But it doesn't have to be enough for a full-time job. And, you know, if I were getting paid from the pastorate principally, like my family would have starved a while ago. So, you know, that being the case, what we what we – what we do is you go, okay, you, you've got to be skilled. Like Paul, you've got to be able to te- make tents or like Jesus, you have to be a carpenter. You got to be able to do stuff. You have to have some sort of value. You could be a trader of purple, you know, whatever. But, but the, but the idea is you're able to do business. And so that's why you have to be a man who is an Ishkael, a man of valor, able to, you know, to be decisive in business, decisive in battle. And you got to be a, get a Cosmion. You have to be well-ordered. And so that idea that you can confidently serve. And if we make it so that the pastorate is just a full-time job, then what we've done is we've eliminated the economic independence of the pastor Hello? and we've made it so that he's more likely to please the congregation. And if we, if we eliminate the economic independence of the pastor, you're likely to have people-pleasing preaching. And in addition to that, if you eliminate the, the, the multiplicity of elders, you're going to get a narrowness in the teaching where you don't have multiple people teaching. And so you need both of those things and paying multiple people kind of part-time to do the preaching in a way where they're sharing in that work as there's multiple elders is the methodology that I would encourage. So we're a small church uh, and, you know, we're in the process. We've actually got an ordination this Lord's Day. I'm really excited about what's going to be happening uh, where we're going to have another officer added to our ranks. Um, so that's what I would say about that. And I, and I think that um, I don't think that we should, um, we should eliminate economic work from the activity that pastors are expected to do. Mm. All right, David, did you, I know we didn't get nearly as far as we wanted. How, how much time do I have left with you? Um, I have, I have to run here at two thirty. Okay. So we got a little time. I, here's what I would like to do. I think there was one other question, but I don't think it came through. I was, I wanted you to um, at least finish up the, the um, work side of this. Um, I can't remember where we were before I started asking questions for people to come in, but I think you were uh, the qualifications for a man to be able to have good business, to do good business that qualified him even for the options of being an elder. And then you got into the process of accumulating wealth. Oh, that's what I remember. Um, and uh, our finances to build up capital so that we can uh, use that capital. And then you were given the, uh, the idea for young men, what they need to be doing. But then I thought you were going to go to, okay, older men, you're in a different position than where the younger men are. The younger men still might be at home. They might be, um, you know, in their 20s. They can work harder. They got more time. They're not nearly as tired. Is there an option for the older man? And what does that look like? So I'm really sorry. I'm really rudely going to say, yes, there is an option. Can I go through the middle stage first? Yes. What are you talking about, man? Yes, please. Okay. You can go wherever you want Okay. To. So. Okay, so before before we get to the old man, we need to talk about what they do. But but I, I want to give a roadmap of the ideal 
and then we talk about people who are in a, in rougher spots. I know they got to do. And so that, here's what you do after you get your capital. When you have that first hundred thousand, here's what I want everybody to know, and this applies to older men too. Okay, so, so older men can use the same trick. It doesn't matter how old he was. This kind of answers your question. David, I guess. Did you say the first hundred thousand? The first hundred thousand. Oh my goodness. Okay. Here's what you need. Here's what you need. You need enough capital that you can manipulate the system of leverage. So here's here's what I want to explain mm. about that. So the, 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 the tools that you need, if you're going to be able to accumulate capital, remember capital accumulation is the hard part. So you can then buy things that make it so you can free up your time, including other people's time to do work. What you have to do is you have to get enough capital that you can start to buy something. And, and the, the system, in our system, places where it's easiest to get capital is borrowing against assets that are out there. Okay, so so the, the system to borrow, you have to convince a bank that you can either pay them back or you have to convince a bank that you have something that they can take to make so they can make themselves whole. So if that's the case, then one of the things that you're looking at is, is what's the place where banks have a mechanism for lending money against expensive assets at high leverage ratios? So you can look around, and what you'll find is the best place where you can get money as a person who doesn't have a lot of money is borrowing against real estate. So there's the FHA loan, which is a 3.5% down payment, but better than that, frankly, just like ignore that and go on to the 5% conventional down payment loan as private mortgage insurance, which is much cheaper. But my basic point there, think about this. If you want to buy an asset, and right now real estate might be bad price, whatever, so I'm not telling you to go buy real estate. I'm trying to say real estate is one of the places you look. If you can't do a, if, you, if you cannot find a good deal, you don't buy. Okay? The principal rule for investing is looking for a good deal first. But looking for a good deal takes time. You have to learn the market. You have to study it. You get books on real estate. You get books on that. Go on YouTube. Watch videos about it. Like bigger pockets, stuff like that. Like go through stuff. Like listen to people talking about real estate deals and get familiar with it. The other thing you do is look at buying businesses. Okay, banks will lend against businesses. But so with real estate, your first four houses that you buy, if you're trying to figure out how to get money, cash flow, the thing you're looking for is you're looking for the way to maximize rent in comparison to the cost of paying the debt service. And so fourplexes are the place to start looking. You can look at threeplexes, whatever. If you get more than a fourplex, then you're no longer able to borrow using the standard residential real estate lending tools. And so as opposed to getting to borrow 95% of the money, you have to borrow like, 75%, 80% is the best you can do. And so think about the difference between that. When you can borrow 95% of the dollars, that means $1 you put in of capital you've saved, you can borrow 19. Think about that leverage. That's enormous leverage. Mm. And the other thing that's great in most states, and this is not something that should be a law, but it is a law, and if it's going to be there, and the loan's written this way, you might as well think about how to limit your liability. With residential real estate buying, what you do is you are getting a mortgage that is not able to be recovered against any of your other assets. It's only able to be recovered against the property. 
So if you can't afford to pay back the loan, all they can do is go take the property back from you. All you really lost is your down payment and any payments you made during the time. And then the other law that's in place that makes it so that you know there's something to protect you there is if the property is sold and it pays back the loan, any excess goes back to you. So those are law things that, again, they should not be there, but that's the way it is. And banks now make decisions with that risk profile in mind, right? So it's cost in. It's costed in. So that's just the way it is. And so you do business there. There's nothing immoral about recognizing that those things are there, even though they shouldn't be there. That's the way you behave. And so you behave realizing that that's the way the loan structures work. So if you can borrow 95% when you buy real estate, you're looking for real estate, and you're looking for real estate that generates the most rent in comparison to the cost of the debt financing and the maintenance of the property, and you have to learn how to manage it. Managing involves doing deals with tenants. It involves fixing toilets. It involves dealing with cheap electrical things and changing out like light switches. And so you learn some of these basic things that make it so you can manage a piece of real estate at a low cost as opposed to having to pay a plumber for everything and pay an electrician for everything. You got a lot of money, okay, great. But if you got time, you have a lot of money, those are the things you do. You figure out how to handle those types of things. And by the time you you can get up to four properties doing that 95% borrowing. And what you do is you have to move into it, and then you just buy another one and move into that. And you buy another one, you move into that. You buy another one, you move into that. And by the time you've got that, you've got these four properties. You're probably going to make more off of those properties than you are off of your job if they're fourplexes. How long does that take? So, it depends on how long it takes you to get capital. Um, so two, there, there, there are two things. There are two things. First of all, when you buy your first house, when you buy your first piece of property, you're no longer paying rent. Okay, so your capital accumulation rate increases if you are already there. If you're in your parents' house, okay, now, now you, you're moving into that. Um, that that's something that's going to make it so that you're you now have to deal with the fact that you're taking up one of the four units. Uh, but if you if you do that and you're getting married or whatever, you got to live someplace anyways. So pulling capital together allows you to do something like that. So it depends on where you are. Like in Phoenix, a fourplex is going to cost a million dollars, maybe two million dollars, maybe as low as seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. So it depends on where it is, and you're going to look at rents. And depending on the size of the unit, the rent's going to be fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars. So you're looking at something like that, and you're looking at things like the cost of the mortgage in comparison. So th- those are the things you have to go and, and, and look at as possibilities. The other thing to look at is buying a business. Because if you buy a business, the, there are SBA loans which could not exist. They've driven the private lending out of small business lending, which is exasperating. And so you look at these SBA loans and other loans that are available from banks and hard money loans, and you can typically borrow something like 90% or 80% or 70% or two-thirds-ish on a business if it has cash and assets. Mm. And so if you're looking for a small business to buy where you think you can get a good deal where you could, with the earnings of the business, pay for it in one or two years. If somebody wants to sell a small business and they're trying to charge you more than one or two years of the profits of it, it is way overpriced because small businesses that are making less than a million dollars of profit a year are difficult to sell. It's difficult to get a, a margin over that. So really one time is very common. So you're looking around for a small business and you're looking to borrow. And if you can, you'll avoid getting a personal guarantee. So if the business fails, 
they can't come after your other assets. You just lose it and you invested it. But that's difficult. Especially the USBA, they require a personal guarantee. So, so those are the things. Those are the risks that you can take. Those are the places where you can easily get money is the banking system has the SBA lending system, and it has also it has the, um, the loans that are associated with houses, residential property, that allow you, because of the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, you know, system to, to trade mortgages, they allow you to do the 95% borrowing on those. Those are the places you can get leverage. So you're pulling together capital, so you can do something like one of those, which will immediately get you you get to like three or four properties that are rent collecting, or if you have a business that's generating profit, where you're generating salary and making all that, put into less risky things. So if you're younger, I would encourage you to, if you've if you learned to work, you got a good work ethic, and you know how to handle people, I would really encourage you to start to deal with either real estate or small business. You're skilled with a small business. If it's something you already have skilled. Real estate is a great way to learn the business lower risk because it's a lot easier to real estate to get customers out of the And you can have a lease place. So you can learn the basics of business finance in real estate in a little bit more slow motion, a little bit less capital, and a little bit less risk if you don't know as much what you're doing. And you will learn a lot about humanity by dealing with tenants. David, uh, you also uh, learn a lot about Go ahead. Can I speak? Uh, go ahead. Quick. Go ahead, Ellie. Yeah. Uh, real quick, uh, David, how would you answer if Christians say that leverages are wrong for Christian to do? You're taking out debt. So this whole idea of borrowing to invest, it's wrong. It's sinful. How would you answer that? That's a great question. Um, so I would it. say, That's just my answer. So, so first of all, I would say the book of Proverbs plainly teaches um, that it is uh, foolish to to borrow and put yourself at risk for others. Um, it is foolish to uh, it is it is foolish to um, offer security on something that is you know. Uh, you think that your last item, like you know the the clothing you're wearing or um, the place where you sleep, that those things putting those up at risk. There's a uh, there's a danger um, in those things, and so there's 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 things that talk to you about avoiding risk. And the idea that the borrower is the servant of the lender, absolutely. Uh, you know you know who else are servants? Employees are servants of their employers, and and so the idea that the borrower is servant of the lender, yeah, you can trade one master for another, and one master you would have to work for, you know, and you're just accumulating money by wages. The other master, you're paying them back, and they're giving you money ahead. And so it's not so much about, you know, you have an employer one way or the other. And so you have a master one way or the other. You just, one's giving the money up front, the other one's giving you the money gradually over time, and you agree to serve them over a period of time. So, okay, that's fine. Let's do that. So then we go, okay, none of that proves it's not sinful, right? Maybe it's just sinful. Well, the Bible clearly teaches us that it's our duty to lend to the poor. So is it, is it sinful to borrow if you're poor? Um, and then we also have this idea that there are certain places in the book of Proverbs where it says, if a person comes and asks you for a loan 
in that circumstance, if you're going to give it, make sure to take their cloak as a surety. So that means that there are different types of loans. There's types of loans where it's sin to take somebody's cloak, and types of loans where it's not sin to take their cloak. So Calvin differentiated between business and surety loans. And I think that Calvin's understanding of the scriptures there opened up capitalism and allowed for the biblical economic system to spread. So you have you have lending in Protestant countries coming out of this understanding instead of the Catholic understanding teaching that it was wrong to borrow and wrong to lend and wrong to take any sort of interest for doing so. Um, and so what is interest? When we think about interest, we talk about is, is interest the same as usury? The Bible teaches that usury, which is taking interest on a charity loan, is sin. Taking interest on a charity loan is charging somebody for something when they're a brother and they need help for their immediate consumption. We have a duty to give charity loans to our covenanted brothers to assist them for immediate consumption. And if they're a person who can work and pay you back, like it's not an orphan or a widow, it's instead it's a person who's just like a healthy male who needs a short-term assistance, Okay, you give it to them as a charity loan, and they pay you back without interest. Now, if they can't pay you back, because things keep happening, so all of you know, awfulness occurs, and things just keep falling apart for them, okay, you don't ever extract them. Um, and that's the way that you should should care for your brothers. And so it turns into a sort of gift, and you when you lend to a brother in that circumstance, you're lending to the Lord, and he pays way better interest than you could have gotten anyways. Hmm. So then... We have on the other side the business loan, and the business loan is: I've got a house. You want to buy the house? You don't have enough money for it right now. I'm willing to sell it to you anyways because I trust you. As long as you pay me over time, but you know, getting the money over time is less valuable to me than getting the money right now. So I should be paid something for providing you the convenience of that. I'm you're paying me interest is paying me rent on my money. I'm letting you have my money you're renting the use of the money over a period of time. There's nothing immoral about that. And so how do I know that with certitude? Because I'm, I'm asserting this pretty certainly. Well, the reason I'm absolutely certain about it is because the Lord Jesus Christ in the parable of the talents, he says, okay, you're the guy, you had multiple talents, you, you reinvest them, you double them, great, good job. You, you had half as many, you invested them, and you doubled them, great, good job. You, you had one talent, and you buried it in the ground? You buried it in the ground. You didn't invest it. You didn't do anything useful with it. Why is that? You should have at least put it with the bankers. Now, let me ask you. <laughs> let me ask you. Knox, when you give money to the bank, are you just giving it to them? Like, is it a gift? Like, here, Chase Bank, take my gift. I love you. You can have all my money. It's yours. I ain't never giving money you- to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> when you get money to the bank, do you expect them to hand it back to you at your request? I love it. <laughs> so, you think that means you're lending the, the money to the bank? Hmm. I don't know. And so, if you're lending the money and they pay you interest, that's because they're paying you interest on a loan. And yeah. how are they making money? That money? They're either investing it or they're lending it to somebody else at a higher interest rate. The Lord Jesus Christ in the parable of the talents shows that the servant had a duty, if he didn't know how to invest the money, to lend the money at interest to somebody else who knew how to invest it, 
so that he could collect interest off of their work. David, that's that's really good. That's really good. Oh, that was a great question. I wouldn't have gotten to know you, David. That was really good. We need to think about that. So then, David, I didn't even think that goes back to your point on, on gaining capital. Um, what, you know, if you have to sell peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at a high school, I don't know. If you guys get your hands on the money, it's like, and, and then find guys that are saying, I got 15 What do I do with this? I don't know what to do. I don't have to grow it anymore. But not but here and to not do anything with it or not to figure out how to create and I think I want to say anything like this. Figure out how you can be a blessing to others because that will help you accumulate wealth. That's what you want to do. How can I be a blessing to people? And then in doing that, yes. they'll bless you back. And I think that's a huge part of it. I, David, I struggle with the fact that it's like, man, I, I don't know how to accumulate wealth. It's like there's all kinds of people out here who need something and how to, can you go and serve them? And that's the simplest way to start creating capital. Uh, uh, how can you go serve someone else? And there's, there's plenty of ways to do it. Unfortunately, we have built around this, this five-day work week. Well, okay, that's not right. Let me show you work. So let's figure this out. How can we take that, that day and use that then to build something that creates capital if we're not able to do that from our other job that we're working? And I've found, and I'm, I've been talking to my family, like, as what is it that we can do that is a way to love our neighbor in such a way that they want to bless us? You know, David, do you want to speak on that? You got the floor. Absolutely. So uh, I think what you just said is absolutely right. And what you, what you start to do is you start to think, okay, where can I provide value? Where do I have knowledge that's useful here? Yeah. If you don't have it, you don't find something right away. You try to find something you're at least marginally interested in, and you start studying it so you can figure out how to do something useful there. And one of the best ways to figure out places where you can do something that's valuable is to go look through where do people spend money mm. and think about where you spend your money and like what are things that you could do to solve problems. Like, What are you paying money to solve? What are you spending money on as a problem to try to solve it? Or what are you other people spending money on? And is there a way that you could take care of that for them is it well or better? If, it's, if, it's, if you're providing something better for a better price or as good for a better price, or if it's just there's something about you that they would prefer to identify with. Like people like to do business with people who are local. People like to do business with people who have the same worldview. So you can just get rolling. Like time and attention. We all think it's impossible to compete. It's not impossible to compete. People just need to give time, attention, work, effort into stuff. When you have insight, when you have knowledge, people will you about it. And sales is the process of telling people about how you can solve their problem. Sales is not yeah. a process of giving people high-pressure tactics. Sales is the process of finding out about people's problems and telling them how you can solve the problem. And if you don't know how to solve the problem, you can be honest and you move on and you say both of time. And so you're not trying to force a sale. You just, you just talk to people about the problem and you see if there's a way to solve it that would make it so it's worth your while. And that's how lots of businesses come. So that, that process, and the other thing I want to say is this. For men who are a little bit older, for the single guy, we just talked about this, the same problem for the younger guy and the, and the older guy. But for the men who are a little bit older and you got kids and you got a wife and you got a house more you got a mortgage you're paying down, you got all this stuff, you're going, how do I, how do I pull together the capital and how do I take a big risk on something? Okay, you might want to have more savings before you take the big risk. And you probably have some savings. 
your family is still together and you know you're a little bit older is you, you you've lived responsibly enough to make it so that your wife is staying with you and your children are you know still functioning with you and so you know if your if your life is really it's easy to hold down a job and you need to start doing family worship and your private worship and go to church and get your life in basic order once your life's in basic order you need to figure out how to get your children work that saves you time and your wife's time. And you need to put your time into figuring out how to make more money, get more money, and your wife needs to help you in that. And so the idea is a division of labor. You're figuring out how to make all the work of the house get done, and you help everybody have a vision. One of the benefits of family worship is you get to talk to your family, you get to help to win their hearts, you get to instruct them, you show them what to value, what to put their affections on, and you're able to direct them in that way. And then you can have time where you have a family meeting and you say, hey, everybody, we need to do this thing. We need, we need to figure out how to get enough money together to buy one piece of rental real estate. Mm. We need enough money together to buy a, buy a business. And children, I want to build up your estate. And you, oldest son, you are going to be responsible if I die to make sure that the, the women of this family are protected and taken care of. And so you're going to get a double portion. So you better care about this inheritance because you're going to be a double portion guy unless you get disqualified. And so work with me, help me here. Let me help to set you up. Let me bless you all and send you off with capital to start your homes. Let me help you to be set up well in the world. So you don't have the same struggle that I had. Like, work with me to build this so that we can have a inheritance that you get to enjoy. And so you, you call your family in to do that. And, and you will find that they are, they want to do it. If you have, if you have a heart, time winning your children or your wife and wanting to work with you that's part of this a lot of scarring and sin on your part mm. of the past mm. and if that's the case you need to find that those failures and you need to repent of them you need to identify the particular places where you've sinned against them in such a way that they don't trust you and you need to repent of those things and you need to win their trust back and pray the lord the lord return the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children that god would change the way your family operates and so that work, figuring out how to work together, having a shared vision, having your, your children say, it means something to be a Reese. It means something to be a Shannon. It means something to be whatever your last name is. And so that, that idea of you are building a house, you are building a house, and it's something where you want across generations for people to bless your name because it's the memory of the righteous on, and the now. work that you did where you sacrificed to make this so that they have an inheritance of wealth and wisdom. Mm. So that's why it's worth it. It isn't worth it to just go like, you know, pick it. Like I'll tell you what, if, if I wanted to just go chill, like I would have quit a long time ago. I could do that. I could have sold out. Like, you know, like yeah, I, had, I had an opportunity to get out and just go relax. That's fine. I have not taken it. My goal has been to have increasing responsibility because I believe the good life is the life of increasing responsibility. I would encourage every man to view that that way. When we go to heaven and we are waiting for the resurrection, you know what we're waiting for? We're waiting for the opportunity to do work again with our bodies. Mm. And when we are resurrected, those who've done well, they don't get a vacation. They get a promotion. God says, you governed these 10 talents well, now go govern 10 cities. Come on now. That's a promotion. Mm. So... We were made to work, and that work is good. Today, David, is not uh, work Wednesday. It's uh, Family Friday, but I see you didn't mix it all together today. You didn't put it all together. 
All right. I want to get one question in before it has to go. Brenton J. Levi, you have the floor, sir. Uh, I better check in first to uh, share this show. I don't see no share on here. Brenton, I'm going I'm to cut you off and go back and share it. Now, my phone ain't okay. I see you shared it. All right. You got the floor, sir. Right there. Yeah, I'm here, man. Uh, that was incredible. That was fire, bro. Thank you so much for, for that preaching. Praise God for that. Um, I just have a quick question for maybe like one piece of advice you would maybe give me. Um, so I'm 34, and uh, the Lord just saved me about two years ago, a little less than two years. And I'm about to get married to a woman that has a uh, nine-year-old son. So I want to do all of that stuff you were just saying, but I'm just like really intimidated um, about being a spiritual leader um, in the situation I'm coming into. So I was just wondering if you had any advice. It's kind of a, I guess, like a unique situation to have, I think. Absolutely. So um, I understand the dynamics of that situation. And what I would advise you is, first of all, when you marry this woman, and you covenant with her, you, you swear to take her as a wife, you need to also acknowledge the fact that you are swearing to take this young man as a son. So I would strongly encourage you to publicly make an oath to him hmm. that you will treat him as And I would encourage you to realize that covenant relationship matters more than blood. And I would encourage you to treat him as your first son. And I would encourage you to take him under your wing as your son and to let you're going to feel awkward about it. And you just need to pretend like you don't. Mm. And what you do is you need to make that boy feel confident that you're his father. And his mother will love you so much if she knows that you treat that boy like he is a child that was made from your guy's wedding. And the result will be that you will gain him as a son in his loyalty. He will serve you. He will work with you. And you teach him skills. You work beside him. And you make him know that. At the same time, you help him to think about the fact that you want him to identify as your son, which means your name. Now, if, if, you, if, if there's a father who was the guilty party in, in a prior divorce, or if there's some guy who was you know, with her, and then he disappeared, or whatever. Those, those are the circumstances for that. If he was, you know, the innocent party, and he's remarried, okay, then don't do that. Don't take, don't make this son, you know, disavow in some way there. But what I'm saying is, this idea of identifying with you, he is either going to be your adopted son, or he is somebody else's son, and he's somebody who you are a guardian and caretaker for. And so you need to identify very clearly in your mind which the relationship is. So um, assuming that uh, she is qualified for a remarriage, uh, those are the things you have to think about. And um, in, in being able to then lead her, you know, you just kind of you need to make sure that she understands the biblical patriarchy. And you need to make sure that she is um, willing to support you, to work with you, to help to make sure that you're the provider and the spiritual leader. And um, she's not on board with, you know, if she's not on board with patriarchy, if she doesn't have the reformed religion, if she is not willing to have children and raise them with a Christian faith, and if she's not willing to baptize them, then I would encourage you to find another woman to marry. Um, if you're already engaged, 
they need to have some hard conversations and seek to uh, to unity on those things. And um, if you guys are in unity on those things, you're going to have an amazing marriage. So that's that's what I would say about that. Uh, um, David, why you almost make me cry, bro? That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah, that, every, every, as, I, as I've been here for the whole show, I'm just like, how can I make Mark cry? Bro, That you almost brought me to tears. I ain't going to lie. Um, I know you got to run, man. I know. David, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Um, it was so good. It was so good. If you want to go to pastors, they are at puritanphx.com. I forgot to say that earlier. Uh, David, if I was wrong on that, you can jump in here and tell me what's wrong on that. Really good. And also, Armor Republic. Body art, body armor, AR500.com. Um, go bless that brother. You've been listening to this. He's been a blessing to you. Um, go bless him. The pastor out there who's doing great work in Arizona. And uh, I can tell you, he's been so much of a blessing to me in the on him. And I love him dearly. And we're going to try and keep him coming on Friday. Family Friday. We got to work through this government. You see, family economics, all this things in the family. You know, I'm not saying no. I'm not saying no. But could you imagine if people spent more of the time dealing with their own families in, in family worship, just getting that right, getting their family singing psalms, and then going through the word of God and praying with them um, and, and modeling that reality there, dealing with in your own home and governing your own home and a way to bless people in your own home and your neighbors. Doing that alone, the impact that that would have on a culture and society, I mean, it would change everything. David, did you want to say something? Because I hear you back here. No, I, I just, yeah, I was just listening to you. So I, the Lord bless you. Thank you for having me on. Forgive me, I'm going to jump off. Go do your thing. Appreciate you, Pastor. So, I mean, that's where the real authority is. And so we're going to try to keep pushing this every Fridays. Thank you guys so much. I know I missed a couple of days this week, but we had 10 hours of live streaming with um, the Fight Left Feast Cross Politic. Um, we had the CREC Council in town uh, in Moscow. And so it was like, man, we have so many pastors in Moscow. It would be really great to have them stop in and to talk about whatever it is they want to talk about and highlight the CREC. Um, so we did that. If you haven't heard that, it's 10 hours. It is at, well, it's on X, on, our, um, on my channel and on Cross Politics channel. And you can get it if you have the Pub app. Go download the Pub app. It is a great app. And um, before I go, I want to talk about my new sponsor, NewHeartTreasures.com. This young lady is doing exactly the things that David was just talking about. She's 15 years old. She saved up $9,000 and created her own company. And in this company, she is selling apparel. Go bless her because what she does allows me to be able to do what I'm doing. So there's all sorts of ways to be a blessing people. But you know what? If you're going to have a T-shirt anyway, get it from her. That is newhearttreasures.com. Hannah will serve you and you can be a blessing to her. And she is uh, great content. She's going to create more content with Bible verses. So just go check out the website. 
Um, and if nothing else, find her on Twitter. It's New Heart Treasures. It's her Twitter handle. Go follow her and at least share her post and, and like what she's doing. There's all sorts of ways that we can be a blessing to each other that we don't think about. And we need to be thinking about those things, liking other people's posts, sharing people's posts, engaging social media in the most basic sense allows you to be able to, uh, there we go, I'm back, allows you guys to be actually listen to each other. And it's amazing. We live in a culture now. Is cross-politic done? Absolutely not. Cross-politic is just getting started. <laughs> cross-politic done. Cross-politic doesn't get done. Yeah, we did stream for 10 hours in two days, Jared. There's a lot of content. There's some great shows inside of that. Um, but let, I just want to everybody is looking at social media, guys. We are not going to let them outproduce us in beauty. This is bottom line. We shouldn't be letting the world outproduce us in beauty. We have to get our priorities straight. And then we need to be engaging. I was just talking to somebody here in the studio recently. I'm not supposed to be done, but I got to say, and I love this Godfather music in the back. I'm the real Godfather. I was just talking to someone. And, you know, the photo album, it didn't go away. The photo album became more public. Everyone now has their photo albums out everywhere. They're not just on the coffee table anymore. The whole world is a photo album. Social media is a photo album. And the truth is, is that the best photo album wins. Hey, guys, look at, it. Look at some of the... Our families are beautiful. We need to be sharing that. And it's better than the drag queen stuff that we see everywhere. And the best way to destroy that stuff is just destroy it with beauty. I have a friend that, oh, I wish I knew her website. I have a company that's going to come on Wednesday, I hope. And she makes some of the best cookies I've ever had in my life. And guys, look at me. I've had some cookies. Okay? I feel like an expert on this topic. When it comes to having cookies, I win. And I had some of her cookies. Let me see if I can find her Facebook page. Shanice Lewis is her name. And she's on Facebook. And a crumble, I think it's butter crumble or something like that. I'm going to find it because I'm going to have her come on. Y'all need to buy her cookies. These things are, if you're not post meal, they make you post meal. And I don't even think she post meal, but her cookies are. <laughs> they are phenomenal. Um, and so I, I want to try and highlight couples that think we're doing well. And I want us to support those things because it is beautiful. She's on social media posting these beautiful cakes and these wonderful looking cookies. And my mouth waters every time she does it. And I'm like, man, you know what? That's the kind of thing we need to highlight. That's the kind of thing we need to praise God for. She's taking something, some flour, some sugar, some butter, and she's figuring out how to turn it into something better. She's acting like the Lord in that. Taking something that's nothing and turning it into something better. And she's... Oh, She's imaging God in what she's doing. And we need to be modeling more of that instead of complaining. So that's what we're going to try and do next week. Appreciate you guys. I'm going to sign off on my typical thing. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until Monday. Marvelous Monday. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight. Laugh. And feast. This is not unleashed. I'm <laughs> sorry.